Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would like not, now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Corey. Hi, I'm Corey, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Is this on, or this is just... It's on? Okay, so you all can hear me. Um, good. Uh, so, let's see, I have a couple pictures. Um, so, these are two graduations. One is college, one is grad school, so that speaks to the order, and hopefully you can tell which is the before picture from the picture. Um, I, I don't ask me what I weighed, like if there's time for questions at the end, don't ask me what my top weight was, because I didn't get anywhere near scale, so um, that's just my disclaimer. There you go. Um, so it's nice to be here. I want to um, thank Martha in Absentia for asking me to come and speak. It's always so awkward because this thing is bigger than I am. Um, <laughs> for the listeners at home, there's a really big podium. Um, I, uh, let's see. So I, I, um, I came here around 1988. I think it was August of 1988. Um, I didn't, I always say God has a great sense of humor because I didn't, um, I wouldn't have come here had I come for me. And my first program uh, my sister was, it was suggested to my sister by outside help that she go to an Al-Anon meeting, and she asked me if I would go with her, and we were going to get some food afterwards, we were going to get some lunch, and um, and I went with her, and I went for her, so I was able to listen, and if I hadn't gone for her, I think my mind would, I would have been clear that this is, this won't help me, and I can, and these people aren't going to understand, and I'm not going to get them, and, and I went for her, and I listened, and I uh, related, and I, because I didn't go for me, I didn't have time for my mind to shut, and, um, <clears throat> and I was listening, and I, there were some famous people there, and that helped, because I thought that was cool, and, um, <laughs> Ah, and now I'm married to an actor, so it's like it's it's still cool, but it's differently cool. Um, and I uh, and I really related. And there was one woman in the meeting who talked about being angry with her father. And I didn't know feelings. I didn't. I, I knew what I thought you felt, or you know, if I was angry, I asked you if you were mad at me. That was kind of my my way. And so I came into that program that was Al-Anon. And then about nine months later, a woman that I knew from school, I was in college at the time, a woman that I knew from school, um, I saw, just showed up in an Al-Anon meeting one day. And I, I lived in a town, oh, there's water. I lived in a town where there were two meetings a week, two OA meetings a week and two Al-Anon meetings a week. Um, and she had, I had never seen her in a meeting before, which is weird. It's like in LA, that's doable. But and so I ran into her, and I knew her from playing. We played racquetball together in school, and I, for some reason, I shared with her about my food. And I never talked to anybody about my food. I lived in the dorms for a year, um, and I'm also a type 1 diabetic. So I lived in the dorms for a year. My first year in the dorms, people thought that I didn't eat anything but a very rigid food plan. And I was binging like crazy. But people didn't know that. People just thought it was amazing. And one of my roommates was, she was in TOPS, which is a different program for weight loss. And she made cookies one day, and I helped her make cookies. And she was so impressed that I didn't lick my fingers when we were making cookies. And she didn't know when she left the room that I took a huge scoop of cookie dough and ate it. But Because um, that was my deal. I did a lot of secret eating. I was a... I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic at the age of 9, and um, people started watching me and watching my food, and um, 
and I thought I, I learned or I told myself out of my denial and thank you for talking about the allergy also um, that I uh, if you didn't see me eating that it wouldn't affect me and I don't know how I sort of measured that against my blood sugars and you know at the time I just didn't check and but I just thought if you don't see me then it doesn't matter and so I did a lot of damage and I'm really really lucky today that I don't have more complications as a diabetic um, that was 1975 to give you some sense of how long ago that was um, so I came into this program and um, this time I did come for me but I already had had a sense of 12-step program so I knew what to expect and I um, I love that other program but when I came here I knew that I was home this was um, I don't know that I was compulsively eating before uh, I was diagnosed as a diabetic but um, that's really when my binging took off but food definitely was the language in my family um, there's a there's a story that I tell about my my grandmother my paternal grandmother and she um, I, I'm Jewish so that tells you a lot about food in my home and she <coughs> and she she the, the story was she would she always would um, she would speak the language of food so she would say are you hungry and and for her it felt like she was caretaking if she could feed us so whoever the us were are you hungry no I'm not hungry okay uh, do you do you want you want some apple <laughs> no I'm not hungry really you want some jello you want some jello I've got some jello no no you want a cookie okay I'll have a cookie and then because I was a diabetic she gave me a cookie and she said should you be eating that <laughs> and it was um yeah that was kind of food in my family um so I've been here a long time um today is the 29th of November 2014 and I came in 1988 that's a long time um and I've changed a lot in this program um I uh for a long time I um I felt very uh, so I had contempt prior to investigation which if you don't know what that is it's in the big book and basically it's that we hate things that we don't know anything about simply because we think we have a right to hate them and so I started reading the big book and I knew it, it was written in the 30s and it was about alcoholics and I didn't relate and I didn't it took me a long time in this program to have the wisdom to be able to translate the symbols of jaywalking or alcohol or you know whatever the stories were it took me a long time to get that wisdom and now I go to a big book study every Sunday morning and every and I've gone through this book so many times in that big book study and with sponsors and in many ways um, and I uh, and I sit there and I re every time I read a chapter I think well they added some new stuff to that <laughs> chapter I don't recall that being in there before but there's some really great stuff in this book and, and there's more stuff that I relate to than that I don't relate to but I had to open up my mind and be able to think about the the way that that translates for me um, so I really I I was raised on AA literature just because there wasn't a lot of OA literature there was the brown book I think when I came in which was kind of you know sort of more of Roseanne's story and um, but so I was raised on the OA and I mean on the AA 12 and 12 and the <coughs> AA big book and um, so uh, and a lot's changed for me in the time that I've that I've been here I, I came in I was I was one of those people that um, I really like I didn't think I had amends to make to anybody but myself and maybe there are those people um, and, and and no judgment if that's your story my story was I didn't really think that I had hurt anybody else because I wasn't really capable of seeing my dark side 
I wasn't um, I wasn't capable of seeing how like if if you made me angry, I felt like I had a right to be angry because what you did was wrong, right? And I didn't get that. I didn't get though. It took me a lot of years in programming, doing a couple of six and seven steps, for me to be able to see that I, that if I have a reaction, it has really nothing to do with you. I mean, it might. There, there might be something that's relational between us, but it's really about my, um, my reaction. And and especially when I have a really huge reaction, I, I my my experience was I so. <clears throat> well, I'll go back a little bit. So I, I've I've had a lot of family stuff in the last few years, and one of the big family things that's happened, of the many big things, is my grandfather died a couple years ago, and he had four kids, and there's three surviving kids, um, and uh, and and through the estate, it, it whatever all the nightmares that you ever hear about estates happened in my family. So there's families are segregated now. My family. So we had Thanksgiving on Thursday with half of the family, and Thanksgiving, and and then a, like a get together on Friday with the other half of the family. And um, and you know what? I have no idea where I was going with that story. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Um, I was talking about six and seven. Oh, well, anyway, so there's a lot of dysfunction in my family. Um, and a lot of you probably know that the surviving uh, member of my dad's family is the, the non-surviving member is my dad who killed himself um, in 2010. And that was, you know, I'm really glad to have a program, to have had a program when that happened. I, um, I uh, so in, in 2010, um, and I've told this story before, and I've even told it at this meeting, so it's on tape somewhere, but um, I, I came home one day and I uh, got a call from my dad's neighbor and through a series of phone calls found out that my dad had killed himself. He had killed his wife and killed himself. And I, um, and, and my first, and you'll see how ingrained this program is because my, my, my first thought was, oh my God, how am I going to survive this? And, and who do I need to call? And I, how am I going to call my siblings? And my second thought was, I'm going to do this one day at a time. And I and I got that here. And um, I I um, and that's what we have to do, you know, I, one day at a time. So um, so I was telling you how much I hated the big book when I came in. I'm sort of all over the place. I'm feeling a little bit scattered tonight. I'm not sure. So this was my big book. This is when the big book changed editions in the last couple of years. I was really sad because. My old big book, which was kind of falling apart, had all these sayings in it that I had gotten here. And um, I, was, I was listening tonight to the candle takers, and I heard, apply the principles with the language of your heart. And, um, and, I, and, and I have, every time I hear something like that, I write it in my big book. So I have all this really cool stuff in my big book. Um, so I'm given abstinence. I don't have to find a way to get it. I just have to find a way to keep it, right? So... Anyway, so had this big tragedy in my family, and the first, the, the second thing was an OA platitude. So I, I think that's, you know, that's, I got that here. Um, so let me, I'll tell you a little bit about my eating. I was a hardcore binger. I was, I was such a hardcore binger that I, I don't even know what my blood sugars were when I was growing up. I'm sure that they were extraordinarily high. Um, the doctor that took care of me when I was a kid um, took all of his notes in shorthand. And then um, I wasn't able to get the records when I left, and he hadn't transcribed his notes in years. So I have no idea what my blood sugars were, but they were super high. I was a hardcore binger. I was what they, they now have a term for what I was, which is called diabolemia, which is um, people who are diabetics who use 
regulate uh, or, or don't take insulin in order to regulate their weight. So anybody in here who's a bulimic, you know that paradigm of I, I, I need to eat it, I can't not eat it, I have to get rid of it, I can't. So that was my experience, and I used insulin to do that, um, which is just brutal. And I, I had a friend, when I moved back to Los Angeles after college, um, I met a friend here who was a little bit younger than me who um, was almost blind. She did the same thing, and she diabetes is the leading cause of blindness, so for anybody who didn't know. Um, and she was almost blind, and that's, I, I don't know how I didn't wind up having those complications from the hardcore eating that I did. So when I came here, um, I was raised in a family with eating disorders. I wasn't raised with alcoholism, but I was raised with workaholism. I was raised with rage. I was raised with compulsive overeating. I was raised with really doing anything to not have to feel our feelings. And I, um, it took me a long time. When I was new in program, I would, I would see people come in, and they would talk about, you know, at 30 days, they would have all these feelings. And I felt so jealous of that because... It took me a lot of years to find my feelings here. It took me, it, it was, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years in before I think I cried at a meeting. Um, and I um, I think I had, I, I picked up the food at 9 probably when I started, when I was diagnosed as a diabetic. And um, before that, I, I there were so many other things that I was doing to hide my feelings. I don't even know what they all were, but my intellect and, you know, all these things that we do, you know, before we have the access to substances. Um, and I was raised in a family where there was a lot of dieting. And um, so anyway, so I got here and I didn't, so I was in this little town. There were two meetings a week. There was not a lot of abstinence. And um, I, people talked about abstinence. They talked about wanting abstinence. But I didn't, it wasn't like when I got to Los Angeles and, and I got some, I got lots of different examples of what people's abstinence can look like. At the time, the tool was abstinence. Now it's called food plan. It's sort of, we, we, we shifted language, but, um, so I didn't, I didn't know what to eat. My sponsor up in Humboldt County where I got into the program, um, she didn't tell me what to eat. She said, find something that you feel comfortable with. And I thought that had to be perfection. I thought that, it, it had to be something that, um, I don't know. I, I thought it, it had to be something that I would be feel okay with you watching me eat. The problem is I didn't feel good enough in any way possible. So to think that I could come up with something that would be healthy for me, that I would feel comfortable doing in a crowd, um, was a bit of a setup for me. But I didn't know that. So I thought it had to be perfect. And um, I remember I went out to breakfast one time with some program people after the Saturday morning meeting, and they ordered things, they ordered pancakes and, you know, whatever, things that I didn't think, because I was raised with my mother on Weight Watchers, so, which was really boring food, and now kind of the way that I eat, ironically, but not, not, <laughs> not because it's, because I, I'm just, you know, because someone said, here, eat this food plan. It's sort of just the way I want to eat these days. Um, and I learned some really balanced things about eating from my mom, but... Um, I, I so I, I came up with a perception of what I thought a food plan needed to be, and it, it was impossible. For me, it was impossible to keep. I know that there are people that can have f food plans that are so structured, and that is absolutely their path or your path. And I, I love what I love about this program, and so is also hard for me is that everybody has their own way, and so we all work the same steps, we all have the same stuff, and everybody. You know, people have different ways of working their food plan, and I love that. So, um, 
So when I was early on and I thought I had to be perfect and I called my sponsor one day and I said, I, I, I have to start over. And she said, um, so well, what happened that leads you to believe that you have to start over? And, and, um, and I told her what I had eaten and she said, whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like a really reasonable meal to me. And um, she said, you might, you know, perhaps the sponsor direction at this time is to maybe think about and do some writing about food and what you were taught about food. Because I was taught that food, my mother was a bulimic. She was an anorexic at times. She was, she had her own deal. And, um, and, and I was taught to feel okay about food the way my mother was taught to feel okay about food. So for my mom, she couldn't be thin enough. And so, and I was heavy, and I, and I just thought, I have to be perfect. So anyway, so that's what I learned. And it took me a long time to come up with a food plan. And, and, and so this is just my experience. But what I've, what I've sort of learned is when I work my program, food isn't really an issue for me. There's not a lot of things that I don't eat, um, just my experience. Um, but there are, but what I know is when I work my program. So on Thanksgiving Day, I emailed my food in that morning to my step, my food sponsor, and what I said is I'm going to have one plate of food, and and I'm going to have, and I'm somebody that can do desserts, and I'm going to have a piece of dessert, which I didn't even wind up having because it didn't, it was something that didn't even appeal to me, and I had a bite of my nephew's gluten-free something something, and and I didn't want any more, like it just wasn't, it didn't speak to me, so. That is a miracle. That is, that is, without this program, without all of you, without my higher power, without committing to my food sponsor, what I was going to eat, maybe, uh, maybe I wouldn't have, maybe I would have eaten more than one plate. One of the things that's a big setup for me is getting too full. For some reason, so this is where my wiring is a little bit crossed. When I'm too full, I feel like I need to eat more. And, and and so the good news is they say self-knowledge avails us nothing. I don't know that I necessarily believe that. I, I do think, I, so here's my interpretation of that. I think when I was, um, before I got into program and I had all this information about nutrition, I think that's where self-knowledge availed me nothing. Now having a sense of what's, uh, how to be proactive for me with my food plan and calling it in and knowing that I can make an outreach call and sometimes talking to my wife about it because we're there together at a family event. Um, knowing that that's going to be something that's going to help me have a sane food plan or sane meal, that's sort of self-knowledge in a way, and that helps me. So that avails me a lot. So that's my distinction about that. Um, so uh, let's see. So, 10 minutes. Yikes. All right. Um, <laughs> um, so, I wanna, so, I'll tell you a little bit about my relationship with God. So, I was raised Jewish. I, I, we were not practicing kind of a God thing at home. <laughs> um, we, I, I think there are people in my family that probably believe in God. My, in my extended family, I have an uncle who's a rabbi, so clearly one would think that... Um, in my particular family, we were we were of the intellectualized variety that felt far superior to anybody who believed in God, and um, and I, I I didn't believe in God, and I could convince you why you shouldn't either. That was sort of that was who I was. Um, and uh, so when I got here, it's interesting because early on, when I, either in that first program and then when I got here, it took me a long time to really even hear that we were reading about God. Maybe I was too busy thinking about myself or thinking about food or feeling, you know, the effects of what I had eaten or 
whatever, or um, I, I just didn't, I didn't hear the word God. And then, so once I started working with a sponsor and she suggested turning things over to a higher power, that seemed weird to me. And I, I didn't, so what I love, so in the second step it says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So that step for me has two really key concepts. The came to believe is brilliant because there's, I forget where it is in the big book, but there's a place where they talk about the, the initial program where there are six steps. And a lot of what they took out was the process in the first, when they only had six steps. And now we have like, it's okay to have that be a process, to come to believe that power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. And then it also introduces the idea of God. And so when I read that, I felt some comfort because I thought, it's okay maybe now if I don't believe in God, but if I just am open to the possibility that maybe someday that will happen for me. And um, I and by the way, I use the word God, but that's sort of shorthand for me. That's like, some days it's God, some days it's goddess, some days it's Mother Earth, Father Sky, some days it's... You know, I don't know. It's my old cat who passed away, whose little spirit was so <coughs> godlike. You know, it's lots of different things. So I say the word God, but it's really a lot of different things. Um, so I, I wasn't raised believing in God. And so for me, I was um, in, in step two in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about how for people who didn't have a sense of God, it's almost easier than for people who did and they kind of have to rework their sense of God. And my experience was I adamantly did not have a relationship with God and I had to kind of get rid of all that old garbage and sort of redefine that it was okay to find... I I think what I learned here, maybe my big lesson is to find what feels good for me. So that's in how I eat, that's in... You know, what I found was that I don't know that I necessarily believed in God in the beginning but when I got down on my knees and said I feel like I want to eat and I know that's not going to be great so I'm going to just whoever you are I'm just going to get down on my knees and say I don't want to eat that my cravings lifted so that's what I knew in the beginning that was the beginning of my that was like maybe my first spiritual experience um and now it, it's in everything that I do and probably everywhere that I am during the day there are markers that you can see that I live a spiritual life because there's little sayings up at my desk at work or at home we have stuff all over the place that, that there's like three big books we have in three different rooms at home and we don't have that many rooms but we have three big books in three different rooms um, and I have one in my car and one in my office and um, so I you know that sort of stuff is everywhere and um which is a miracle for a Jewish girl like me who didn't, who was never ever going to believe in God. Um, I, uh, I, there were a lot of rituals growing up that when I first got into program and I started sort of working this, like in the beginning I sort of worked this as my religion and then I realized the difference. Um, I, uh, I started, I remember the first Passover that I spent with my family where when we were reading some of the stuff that we were reading, I started to see how it was sort of what we read here. And I thought, you know what, these spiritual principles are probably really similar across all things. And I started to see the beauty in my religion of origin. And that was like another spiritual experience. Um, I didn't have the burning bush variety of spiritual experience. I had that sort of stuff. Like, wow, this is beautiful. And these melodies that I grew up with, all of a sudden I was finding this must be God because this is this when I feel it here and I'm and there's a warmth maybe that's my higher power you know so um I uh 
Okay, so I want to leave time for questions. I, I just want to say that um, I've worked the steps a few times. Um, I need to work them again. I've not done all of my amends. I still have financial amends left to do. And I know that from the amends that I've done that there's going to be a huge amount of freedom once I get them all off my list. And I'm finally in a position having lost some family and getting a bit of inheritance that I can take care of those things. And I'm really excited about that. Um, th there is nothing about this program that I'm not excited to do because I know that it works and it helps and it makes things different. And um, when when I was new, I wanted somebody to tell me, I wanted somebody to promise me that it would make things better. And someone said to me, I can't promise you that it will make things better, but I promise you that it will make things different. And that was enough for me. I thought, well, it's gotta, difference got to be better than, than what it is now. And so, um, you know, I, I have... I lost my father to suicide. He took my stepmother with him when he went. I don't have a relationship with my mother. I have a, there's a lot in my life that still, you know, I, there are still days where I wake up feeling broken and wounded. Like that, that hasn't completely left me, but it doesn't last as long. And, and, I, and I get when I wake up and I feel broken and wounded that that's a part of where I come from. And it's no longer, it, it's not today. You know, it's like, wow, there it is again. All right, honey, we're, you know, there it is. And it, and it comes up to show us the path, and it comes up for healing. And, um, and that's a beautiful thing. That's, uh, for me, that's, I think that's, you know, maybe the biggest, one of the biggest lessons. Although I think I've said that a couple times tonight. Here's the biggest lesson. <laughs> but the, the, maybe one of the biggest things is I get that what I'm feeling isn't necessarily real. Um, or it's not real today, that it's maybe history. and um, But it doesn't mean that it's not a real feeling. It just means it's not happening today. When I feel like the world is against me, it doesn't mean the world's against me. It just means that there's something old just coming up to come through, and I just have to stay present enough to feel it, you know. So um, I think I'm going to stop there and see what if you have any questions. So and someone will tell me when the question time is over, right? Yeah. Okay, I can't see your signs because I'm four foot ten inches, so hold them high. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, did I? I didn't believe in God when I came in, but did I ever feel pressure to believe in God? So I never. So yes and no. I never received pressure, but I felt it. So when my first sponsor, we we went to the beach one day and read about steps one through three and. Um, and we went back to her house afterwards, and she, I said, well, so what do I do now? And she said, well, you know, do you believe that you're powerless over food? Do you believe that, you know, that the that, that power, higher power can help you, and are you ready to make a decision? And I was not. I was, I was like, no way, lady. And, and I said, yes, I feel it. Because I, I, was, I was one of those people that thought, if I don't believe what you believe, I'm going to get thrown away. So... There wasn't any external pressure, but internally I felt like I needed to be like all of you and I need to say what you all say. So I sounded pretty wise in the beginning, but, you know, it wasn't, it was, I was just parroting back what you said, which maybe is still true, I don't know. But uh, the question was, how am I working my program around the inheritance stuff? Well, it's interesting. So there's a couple ways to answer that, but I'm going to answer it from, you know, I don't, um, <clears throat> I don't make a ton of money at, in the work that I do. So... I all of a sudden got some money that helped me um, be able to do some things in my life, like make a new kitchen. I mean, we redid our kitchen and our bathrooms, and um, 
And I have to tell you, when I have extra money in my bank account, I feel like I should get better food. I feel like I want to take us out to dinner at, at the most expensive place possible. For some reason in my brain, money and food are very linked. And I have gone to other programs for the money piece of it, but I know I... I, I um, so it's been hard. So I, through God, I mean, I just, you know, and one day at a time, I've done it all. Um, and, I, and I'm not, I would not be a good, like I keep on saying, God, I'm, I'm willing to try winning the lottery. Give me a shot, you know. But I think if that happened, I think I'd be really... I'd, I'd have to quit my job and go to a meeting every day. So, <laughs> so God, if I'm going to win, make it big. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.